Well, good evening again. Y'all can answer the second time, too. Good evening. Thank you. <laughs> People are sleepy tonight, maybe. I don't know. Glad to have you here. Uh, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. So if you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and if you don't have one and want to open up in the ones there under the chairs, it's page 980 in the chair uh, Bible, the pew Bible there. We've been following kind of the Advent themes, and uh, just to kind of review, Advent means the arrival of someone or something really important. So when we say we're observing Advent, we mean, we mean that we're kind of thinking and meditating on the arrival of Jesus at, at Christmas time. And now, just to be clear, we know that Jesus probably wasn't born December 25th, but this is when people celebrate it. This is when we celebrate His arrival. This is when we meditate on it. This is when we party and celebrate and try to enjoy the wonder of what God did for us in becoming a man and coming to to save us by becoming one of us. And so the theme this week is love. Last week we looked at the theme of hope, and what we've been doing is is basically following along the themes that you often see with Advent wreaths. Have y'all ever been to a church or or done that as kids where you have these Advent wreaths with different candles that go, go along? Anybody done that before? A few of you? Okay, it's not, it's not something widely practiced in the church. I think it's, uh, it's uh, more of a German tradition, but it's something that uh, some, many Christians in different denominations have been doing for the last uh, few hundred years. And uh, no offense to you Germans, but uh, it's just something that has uh, come from out of the Lutheran church from my understanding. Uh, but the themes are just helping us to focus, again, on the things that took place when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. So last week we looked at hope, and we looked at how the Old Testament people of God were waiting for the Savior to come. We talked a lot about the intertestamental period and that big gap from Malachi to Matthew. And this week we want to talk about love and how love is displayed in the incarnation, right? The incarnation is God becoming man, God taking on flesh. And that's what happens when the eternal Son of God takes on flesh and becomes a human uh, along with us. He becomes one of us, and that's part of the the magic and the wonder of Christmas. So we see this... uh, kind of focused in on in chapter 2 of Philippians. And what we see in Philippians is is we're told that uh, if we have any encouragement in Christ's love, that we should see the way He loved us and then love each other in that way. So it's a really beautiful section where it real clearly says, look at Jesus, look at Him, look at what He's done, and then that's going to affect the way that you treat each other. Uh, There's another verse that my wife and I actually had engraved, um, at least the address of this verse engraved on the inside of our wedding rings. It's 1 John 4.19. It says, We love because He first loved us. Another verse in 1 John says, God is love. And so what the Bible says is that God's love impacts us and it changes us so that then we'll love each other. And what religion often says is that if we try hard enough, then maybe God will love us. But the gospel says, no, he, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He loves you, therefore you should love each other. And that's what we're trying to meditate on. That's what we're trying to kind of fix our minds on in this section. So follow with me. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in, of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I know I said I was going to stop at 11, but I just couldn't help it. I had to read those more verses. I looked up the definition of love in the dictionary. The definition of love in the dictionary is this. An intense feeling of deep affection. Now that's not completely divorced from the biblical reality of what love is, but it's not the same thing. The biblical reality of what love is is, is a verb. Not a, not a noun, not a feeling, but love is something you do. And it may be based on intense feelings, but sometimes it's not in our own lives, right? And in God, He both has intense feelings towards us, He feels love towards us, but He acts on it. And that's predominantly the way the word love is, is used in the Bible. It's this action, it's this thing that God does, pursuing our well-being in spite of our sin and in spite of our rebellion. And so tonight I want us to look at the love of Christ and what He did, how He loved us. And what the text says is, Paul says, if, if you have any comfort in that, then you should love each other in the same way. And so that's our goal by the end of the night. Um, I don't think we'll have arrived at perfect love when we're done tonight, but at least maybe we can move a little bit more in that direction of being in awe of the love that, that Jesus had for us and maybe taking another step in that direction of loving each other well. So let me pray for us and we'll open it up a little more. God, we pray that you would meet us here tonight, that you would, because of your love, uh, teach us, that your spirit would join uh, your word to our hearts and our minds, that we would, um, God, that we would worship, that we would be in awe of how great you are and the love that you had for us, and that that would change us. God, thank you that you moved towards us in our pain and in our sin and our separation from you. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just last week, uh, my kids had a choir concert, a Christmas choir concert. It's that time of year. And uh, my daughter had this pretty choir dress that she's going to wear, my, my 10-year-old. And so she's wearing her pretty dress. And it was one of those nights when it was kind of around the edge. You know, it had gotten warm that afternoon, warm like maybe 55, but it was still kind of cold. And uh, she said, no, I don't want to take my coat. Are you sure, honey? No, I don't want to take my coat. Oh, okay, you know, we're going to let her learn her own lesson here. And so she goes without the coat. She rushes in to the concert, sings in the concert. And then we're kind of standing around in this foyer area that's not really heated. And then outside for a little while, it's not heated. And, of course, now she's freezing. And now that it's dark and it's after the concert. And, and as a dutiful father, you know, it's annoying. But you have to do this as a dad. I'm like, don't you wish you had your coat now, honey? You know, like... <laughs> You learned your lesson? She's like, yeah, I just, I just didn't want to bring it. But yeah, now I'm freezing and she's telling me how cold she is. And so I, at that point, I think she's learned her lesson. I mean, sometimes parents, you have to let your kids suffer the consequences. That, that's part of good parenting. But at this moment, I felt like she had learned the lesson. And because I love her and I have this deep affection for her, I wanted to take the action of love and I, I wanted to make her warm. Right? So I took my coat off and put my coat on her. Because I love her. And not only do I feel love towards her, but I was showing actions of love towards her. 
And at great cost to me, because then I'm cold, right? Now I'm freezing. I'm not this tough junior high boy that never needs a coat anymore. You know, like in junior high, you're like, ah, I don't need a coat, Mom. I'll be fine at the football game. No, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm older now, and I, I want a coat when it's cold outside, but, but I gave that up for her, right? And obviously, I am nowhere near the perfect example of love that Jesus is, but it's just a little taste. It's a little window of that love where Jesus gives something up at great cost, much greater than a small coat. He gives up everything to love us. Not just because of feelings of love towards us, but He's demonstrating love, the actions of love, and giving Himself for us. And that's what we see in the text this morning. What I want to do is I want to kind of take us through what we see in the way Jesus loves us so that then we can, we can react and, and try to love that way also. So the first thing that we see is that love starts with God. Love starts with God. I know that sounds kind of abstract, but I think it's a pretty important uh, concept here. Uh, Love is purposeful. It's something that God does on purpose. If we can even imagine going to back into eternity, there was God. And and He was perfectly happy in Himself. He he didn't make us because He needed us. He made us out of love. He created the world out of love, out of an overflow of His goodness and His grace and His riches. And so, love starts with God. Love is God's idea. And so, God moves towards us in love because it's His character and it's what He's like. And what we see with Jesus is love starts literally with God because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And some people have argued about this theologically over the years, but I think C.S. Lewis said it best that either he's liar, lunatic, or Lord. When we look at the facts and you look at the revelation, it only makes sense that he would be God. Or he's crazy. Or he's an evil madman, right? But the text, is, as we understand it, and what has been revealed into our hearts is that he is God, that he is this Savior who's come for us. Look at verse 6 in Philippians 2. Verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He is in the form of God and he is equal to God. Sometimes we think of the word form in kind of like a cookie-cutter external sense, but the form, uh, this word, morphe in the Greek, can mean just the the matter of a thing, the substance, it it, it is the same thing. Saying he's God, he is the same thing. And then it's, it's... shared in a different word there, with equality. He is, he is equal to God. But he didn't see it as something to be grasped. We'll explain that word a little more later, but it wasn't something that he was clawing on to, but was willing to let go. And we'll look at that letting go here in a second. I want to go over to a parallel passage, because conveniently we're close to it in our Bibles. If you're in Philippians, you can just flip over like one page. You'll be in Colossians, maybe two pages. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15... We have a similar revelation about Jesus being God. It says in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When we taught Colossians a couple of years ago, we talked about this word firstborn, prototokos, that really uh, more connotates the idea of being first than it does being born. Right? Born is not really what it's about. It's about being first. It's about the rights of a firstborn. It's about the rights as a prince. And it's saying that's his role. He is first. He is preeminent. It says He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. We can't see Him. But now we can because Jesus has revealed Him. Jesus is equal to God. He is in the same form as God. Verse 16 clarifies it for us in case we're confused. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things 
We're created through Him and for Him. Does that sound like a junior God? Does that sound like a demigod? Or does that sound like God? All things. In the text when it says all things were created by Him and for Him, through Him and for Him, it means all things. All of creation goes back to Him. Verse 17 and says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In case you missed it there in verse 15 and verse 16, all things hold together. By the power of His Word, it says in Hebrews, that everything exists because of Him. I mean, we may learn a little more about string theory over the next few years, but basically He's the one that holds it all together, right? It's, it's not just quantum physics. It's, it's Jesus holding the universe together. You live right now because He's holding you together. Verse 18 says, And He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, that word again, that preeminent one from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. We see a parallel of love starting with God in John chapter 13. And we won't flip there, I'll just tell you the story a little bit, because I think it's a pretty familiar text. In John 13, He washes the disciples' feet. Have you ever heard that story before? About Jesus washing His disciples' feet. It's even a sacrament in some uh, denominations. They would say that's such an important thing He showed us to do, that they, they make that a ritual sacrament as a part of their church. So Jesus washes His feet, and this is really a significant thing that He's doing here. A significant, humbling, serving way to display love. Love to his disciples. But what's really fascinating is before he did this, before he did this thing that only slaves did in that culture, it was a very dirty, menial, servile job. Before he did this, in John 13, 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You see, his service, his washing of the disciples' feet, even that grew out of him knowing that he was God. He knew he came from God. He knew he was returning to God. And, and so love starts with God. It starts with this knowledge of who he is. This is a really important understanding. There's a great book that Tim Keller wrote called Prodigal God. And I love how he plays on the term prodigal. We often think about the, the term prodigal meaning uh, just bad, right, or rebellious because of the parable of the prodigal son. Have you all ever heard of that, the parable of the prodigal son? So a lot of times we just think, oh, he was the bad guy that you know, ran off and then came back and his father welcomed him back. And, and that's all true, but the word prodigal technically means someone who spends everything they have. So Keller takes the original meaning of that word and does kind of a play on that word by calling God a prodigal. Because you see, God spent everything He had for us. But when we recognize that, that just kind of blows up the, the scale, the scope of God's love for us. When we recognize that Jesus is God, He paid an infinite price for us when He gave Himself. He, he gave everything for us. The, the scale of the gospel is, is enormous. Someone that celebrated the divinity or the godhood of Jesus was St. Nicholas, right? A lot of people in their Christmas celebrations like to think about Santa Claus or St. Nicholas. And one of the reasons that he's a famous Christian is because he had a deep love for Jesus. And he was a defender of the divinity of Jesus. He thought it was really important that people knew that he was God and he was a Savior. And St. Nicholas was supposedly very generous. And you know, we have some of our traditions like with stockings and, and shoes with where you put money in the shoes or money in the stockings. Again, different nationalities practice these things in different ways, but apparently he would put money in poor people's shoes or poor people's stockings. And he was very generous and he was a gift giver. But one of the things that's not as well known about um, St. Nicholas is I've got a picture here. I'm going to see if you can tell what's going on in this picture. Can you, can you see what he's doing here? Um, 
kind of an odd picture, but here is a picture of, of St. Nicholas punching Arius. It's supposed to be punching. I know this is kind of weird, iconic picture here, but one of the traditions is that St. Nicholas actually punched out Arius. Arius was the heretic that was saying that Jesus was a creature and he wasn't really God. And uh, I, I don't approve that. I'm not trying to disciple you guys into punching people that don't agree with the divinity of Jesus, but it's just kind of a funny story to show that it was an important thing to St. Nick to, to believe that Jesus was God. That this was important, and it was something that was settled at the Council of Nicaea, and supposedly that's when that took place. And just so you know, the other Christians didn't approve of it, and they, they took away Nick's bishop status temporarily because he lost his temper in that way. Um, there's another great thing. Here's a better picture of him. This is not an actual photograph, just a painting, because he lived in like 300 A.D. But this is him setting free a slave. And again, he was, he was known for being generous because he was convinced that God was generous. That's the way it should translate in our lives. Again, I don't want you guys to go out punching people, but I do want you to believe passionately that, that Jesus was God. And he gave everything for you. That's fundamental to the gospel. This, this God who gave himself for us. Love starts with God. Again, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. It, it goes back to him. He is God and he loves us. And I don't think we will ever really love anyone well. I don't think we'll ever really be free to love completely until we understand how greatly God loves us. That's ultimately what teaches us how to love other people. It teaches us how to love our spouse, our friends, whoever it is in our life. Understanding that God loves us. Well, it doesn't just set us free to love others, but it's also something that helps us to spend also. You know, I use the term of, of the prodigal God, this idea that, that he spent everything he had. And so I want to look a little more about this idea of him uh, not grasping on to that equality with God. Love costs something. You have to spend something if you're really going to love someone. Verse 6-8 says, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So back in Philippians 2, in verse 6, when it says... He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The King James Version says uh, he didn't count it robbery. And what that text really means is that he wasn't uh, greedily clinging onto it in a way in which he wasn't willing to let go of it, right? He had Godhood, he had divinity, and he was willing to forgo that glory as he took on his humanity. He's willing to be humbled. And now it's important, too, to let the text dictate what that looked like. Because again, we don't want to say he completely, utterly gave up divinity and he was no longer God. We'd say no, somehow, we'd agree with the ancient creeds, we'd say somehow he was fully God and fully man. And the sense in which he became nothing, the sense in which he gave up his divinity, is defined here. It's narrowly defined. He lived as a man. It said he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. So he served us. That's what it looked like to give up his glory. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was a huge sacrifice that he would live as a human being. I mean, it, that's one of the things that blows our minds when we think about it at Christmas time is that he, he really was a baby, right? I mean, he, he really did cry, right? He really he had his diaper changed. He, he really grew. 
as a child. And when we try to think about that, we, we kind of stop short, right? We, we don't have an ability to completely understand how all that worked because we so closely associate humanity with sin. Hebrews says he, he was human and he's able to sympathize, us, sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he understands what we've gone through. He's been tempted in the same ways as us. He's been hurt in the same ways as us, but he never sinned. And we, in reality, we, we don't know what that looks like. We can't even imagine that. Or at least I can't. I mean, and hopefully if you're honest, you can't either, right? We, we can't imagine what that's like to be fully human but not actually sin. But the scriptures say that that's who Jesus was. He really did take on humanity. But, but not only did he take on humanity, he, he went beyond that and he actually died for us as well. And, and these are important pieces of the gospel. Two very important pieces. Not only did he live the life that we should live, he was a normal human but without sin. So he fulfilled everything that we should have fulfilled, right? He fulfilled the law. He was the Adam that Adam failed to be. He he was the Israelite that Israel failed to be. He was the person that we should have been. So he has that active life of righteousness. Not only that, but he dies in our place. And those are really two important pieces of the gospel. Often we just fixate on the death, right? He died and he took the punishment for our sins, which is very important, but he also lived for us. So that God credits our account with His righteousness. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior, God looks at you as, as delightful and as perfect and as satisfying as His very own Son, who lived perfectly. His righteousness covers you. You're hidden in Christ. The phrase that Paul talks about again and again and again in the New Testament. You are in Him. His righteousness covers you. He's our only fortress. And it cost Him everything. He spent it all for us. I think it's a beautiful picture of of humility and of of spending Himself for us. And I was reminded of a story one of my seminary professors told one time about his wife uh, being sick. And his wife had had cancer and she had gone through chemo and was uh, just sick in bed all the time and unable to do anything. Uh, And a friend had helped them out. And part of the reason the story... Uh, had left such a mark on me and, and on this professor as well was just the circumstances of it uh, because the woman that had come in and, and helped them was the seminary president's wife. And she had come in and helped them and cleaned their kids' dirty laundry and scrubbed their toilets and done these things for them. And they, and they were that kind of very prim and proper political president and his wife kind of couple, you know, I mean, you know what I mean, kind of the Ken and Barbie kind of couple, you know, and kind of wave like this, and they just, they never said anything wrong, and everything just sounded perfect, and they were always perfectly dressed, and always looked right, and always had everything together, and, and I remember him sharing, this professor sharing with tears about how this woman had, had been serving them, and doing these menial tasks, and scrubbing their toilets and doing all these kinds of things. I even got a picture, just so you could absorb it, of someone scrubbing a toilet in case you've never seen that before. You can find a picture of anything on the internet. People scrubbing toilets. But, but this is an example of the kind of love that, that God had for us. The, the depths that He went to. He, he, he gave up His glory. He, he was in heaven. Everything was perfect. And He was willing to let go of that. Right? He didn't continue to, to greedily hold on to that. He didn't consider it something to be grasped and held on to, but he was willing to let go of that and give himself away for us. That's the picture that we have of Jesus. So my challenge for us is that we would love in that way this Christmas season. 
that, that we would be willing to forego our rights this Christmas season? I mean, what are some practical ways that you could love people? What are some practical ways that you could spend yourself and love people in a way that costs something? When I say the word cost, probably a lot of you just think, oh, expensive present, I guess. Dave's saying I need to buy expensive presents. That's, but, but I really mean more than that, right? What, what I'm saying really is at the cost to our own convenience, right? I mean, maybe just, just showing kindness to the people in your family or people in the store. Like instead of pepper spraying people in line, you could just let them go ahead of you, right? Some of you saw that, that, uh, that news thing on the, on the TV. Um, but, but even beyond that, just, just caring for those in your circle. I think one of the things that we can forego, one of the things that we um, need to let go of in holiday time is our expectations. I don't know about you guys, but, but we have expectations sometimes. Of It's got to look this way or it's got to feel this way. Or, oh, I'm going to have time off from work and I'm really going to get to rest. Or we're going to have a perfect Christmas celebration. Or these lights are going to look this way. Or the meal is going to be so great. Or the kids will be so happy and they'll just get along perfectly all the time. right? And we have these fantasies that, that we come up with. And, and I think one of the things we have to do is be willing to let go of some of that to, to be able to enter in, to be able to be incarnational, to love each other well. Incarnational ministry is this kind of word that's thrown around to describe being willing to step into someone else's world. I think that's so hard for us because we're basically selfish people. We basically want to do our own thing, want to live our own life, but if we're going to look at Jesus and how He loved us and follow His example, we're going to say, you know what, He loved me and He left His home and came into my world, and that's going to drive us then to act that way. That's going to drive us to enter into our friend's world, into enter, enter into our spouse's world, people we work with, and begin to understand them and to love them where they are. One of the ways that this is described in, in Nehemiah 8 last week, we looked at Nehemiah 8 where it said you know, that there were two things they needed to do. They needed to stop mourning, and in and, and their mourning they needed to recognize that God was good, and so they needed to celebrate His goodness. And then the other thing was that they needed to help others to celebrate His goodness. So it's send portions and use your resources to help others celebrate that aren't able to celebrate. So I would say this season, not just should we celebrate Jesus' grace to us, His goodness, His love to us, and the great cost of that love, but we should help others too. Who are some people around you that are finding it hard to celebrate Jesus right now? Pray for those people. Ask God to lead you in specific ways to help those people to celebrate and enjoy Jesus and His love. And that takes us to the last thing I want us to look at. Love expands. It doesn't just push us out to love those close to us, but it expands and we should begin to have a global vision. And that's kind of what blows up at the end of this passage in Philippians, at the end of this passage and starting in, um, let me see, verse 9. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we don't understand exactly how this works. I think different different people, you know, does this mean just Christians who will be bowing and loving him in the end, or does this mean the whole world? It's going to be people that are that are bowing to him in love and other people that are bowing to him in a begrudging way. I'm not sure exactly what he's describing here, but, but I am sure that this is, a, this is a global vision of people in submission and honoring the glory of Jesus. That's the future that we're headed to. And in places like the Great Commission in Matthew 
28, 18 through 20, and, and other places like that, Acts 1 8, where it says that this is the job of the church, it is to go out to the nations, to take this message of hope to all the different tribes, that the whole world would understand, that everybody would know, that it wouldn't just be something we keep in our community but that we would have a global vision, a vision for the whole world. I had a picture here of the world just to have you think about something beyond just your neighborhood. One of the beauties of Colleen is, is many of you, God has already got plans thanks to the army to take you all over the world, right? He's, you're not going to just stay in one place, but God is going to send you to many different places. So you're already going to many places. The question is, are you going to spread His glory? Are you going to honor Jesus as you are taken to new places are you as you are moved along we saw this come up in this concept come up in mark a few weeks ago we've been in the book of mark and in mark 4:30 it talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed remember that analogy was that it doesn't look like anything right i, I even had the the blank slide and i was like see can you see the mustard seed you all remember that one um, there wasn't really anything there, by the way. I don't know if I told you all that. It was a big trick. But the mustard seed is so small, you can't see it, right? It's so small, you can't see it. But Jesus says, you, you plant it in the ground, and it grows to be one of the biggest plants in your garden. And that's the way the gospel works in our life. When, when Jesus is at work in your life, when you're really looking at His love for you, when you're growing in your understanding of how He loves you, you're going to begin to love other people. That's going to begin to expand. You're going to be, begin to have an impact on other tribes and on other nations and on other peoples. Decisions you're making today are going to affect your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren. Even if you don't have any kids, decisions you make today will affect future generations of people. You're going to impact people who will impact people who will impact people. And the question is, are you going to do it on purpose or by accident, right? Are you going to pray and ask God to, to work well through you, or are you just going to kind of bumble along? Pray that He would use you. Begin to have a global vision that God will use you to reach the whole world. We all have different gifts, right? We've talked about this a few weeks ago. This came up in, in the Mark text again. He was talking, we were talking about preaching, and not everybody's called to be a preacher. And my goal is not to turn all of you into preachers, but we should all be about broadcasting His goodness in whatever ways He equips us and gifts us to do that. We have different gifts. Some of us are administrative, and some of us have gifts of mercy and care for people, and some of us are good at building things and organizing things. But we should be using all of that for God's glory to expand His greatness and His excellency and His name throughout the whole world. We have a very specific application for you here. We, we support missionaries that, that seek to befriend people all over the entire world and share the hope that we have in Jesus with people in every nation. And so we have real live people that we support financially and emotionally and relationally. We write letters to them and we try to encourage them. If you want to be a part of that team, we would love for you to be a part of that. We actually have a meeting this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. If you want to call, or not if you want to, if you're going to come, call and let us know that you're coming. We want you to be there, but we need to know if you're going to come ahead of time because we're going to feed you. But if you'd like to be a part of that, we would love to have you be a part of that ministry. We're looking for people to be specific advocates for people involved in global outreach, where, where you get to know that family, and you report in to us every month and let us know how they're doing, and we can pray for them in an understanding way, because you've been keeping up with them, and you've been emailing them, and we'll send people to go visit them and encourage them. So if you want to be involved in that very specific way, at this church, you, you can do that. We'd love for you to be a part of what we're doing in the world. Well, I want to conclude by, by looking at those last few verses in this, this section of Philippians, in verses 12 and 13. 
This is the big therefore. So because of all this, because of Jesus' love compelling us to then love each other and and the way that we see this at work in in Jesus' life, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying you're already beloved, right? We've already just talked about that. Jesus loved you. We love because He first loved us. You're not working it out to impress Him. You're not working it out to get Him to love you. You're working it out with fear and trembling because you're beloved. He already loves you. And so we're doing this work that we call discipleship, following Christ. We're trying to dig out what we've already attained in Christ. It says in Philippians, uh, let us therefore live up to what we have already attained. So we're, we're trying to work that out with fear and trembling. And the beauty of this is that it's not just us doing this. We're not just on our own trying to fix our lives. But it says that it's God at work. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's why we're trembling. That's why there's fear. That's why there's amazement. Because it's actually God at work in our lives. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the bigger story of Christmas is that God didn't just leave us in our sin and and error, right? But He came to this world. He pursued us. He was born as a man. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And He died a sacrificial death to absorb God's wrath, to forgive our sins. So He wants you to work that out. Again, not not to trick Him into loving you. He already loves you. And He's proven that most clearly by sending His Son Jesus to die for you, to come after you. So now He wants you to work that out, knowing that it's God at work in your life for His good pleasure, because He loves you. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You love us. We are amazed. God, help us to work it out. Help us to believe it. Help us to keep trying. Help us to not give up in this world. Help us to keep fighting knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're your beloved. God, help us to have encouragement from your love and to live that out with each other. I pray this Christmas season, Lord, that we would uh, enjoy the celebrations, enjoy the fun, enjoy the lights, but most of all, we would enjoy you as the source of all good things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.